Welcome to AM Best Audio. When it comes to risk modeling, Karen Clark was, and still is, a true pioneer. Her 1985 paper, A Formal Approach to Catastrophe Risk Assessment and Management, changed how risk modeling was viewed. And 30 years ago this August, she became inextricably linked to a hurricane named Andrew and catastrophe modeling. And Karen, wow, can you believe it's been 30 years? No, John, I cannot believe it. But I do have to remind you and everyone that I was a child prodigy. So I was 10 when I <laughs> built the first catastrophe model. Um, but thank you for that kind introduction. What have we seen when it comes to hurricane activity in recent years? Well, the last several years, as you know, we all know, has been very active with respect to hurricane activity. Um, and in fact, uh, 2020 uh, broke records with respect to not only named tropical cyclones, but also uh, named landfalling storms, which is of course what we care about. There were in 2020, there were 11 uh, landfalling named storms and six of those were full hurricanes. Um, we also had two category four hurricanes two years in a row, Laura in 2020 and Ida in 2021. Um, and then uh, if we look back just a few years to 2018, Hurricane Michael was only the fourth Cat 5 to make landfall in the U.S. since 1900. So we've not only been seeing an uptick in the frequency of tropical cyclones, but also the severity. What about losses, Karen? How are losses determined when it comes to hurricanes? Well, the interesting thing, John, is that while we've been seeing unprecedented hurricane activity, the industry has been relatively lucky with respect to insured losses. Think about it. In 2020, we had unprecedented activity, but the annual aggregate losses were about 25 billion, which is not that large by today's terms. And in fact, it's about an average year with respect to losses. Think about it. We had two Category 4 hurricanes strike Louisiana, um, but for both of these storms, they were relatively tightly wound and their highest winds missed the New Orleans metropolitan areas. Hurricane Michael, which was a Category 5 hurricane that uh, struck the panhandle of Florida, cost about, caused about 12 billion in insured losses. But had Michael made landfall in the Miami area, the losses would have been more than 10 times uh, to that amount, likely much greater than 150 billion. So when it comes to hurricanes, I always like to say hurricanes are like real estate. What are the three most important things in real estate? Location, location, location. So it's really not about frequency and even less about severity than it is about location. So that's what we have to think about when we're thinking about the large um, uh, loss, individual event losses and also annual aggregate losses. Um, an interesting statistic 
um, the, the Miami-Dade area has been extremely lucky. I don't know if you remember, but in 2017, Hurricane Irma, at one point in its life cycle, was headed directly, well, it was going to scoop down, hit kind of south of Miami, go north, skim all of the exposures um, in Miami, Palm Beach, uh, and that loss would have been well over 150 billion. But of course, by the time it made landfall, it had moved further west. Interesting statistic is that before 1960, we had four category four hurricanes make landfall between Miami and Palm Beach in the most highly populated areas today. Since 1960, we've seen no four or fives hit in that populated area. So we've been relatively lucky with respect to losses. You know, Karen, we can't have this discussion without talking about climate change. And of course, insurers have been reacting to climate change rapidly in recent years. How is climate change impacting catastrophes and the modeling of extreme events? Well, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, has recently put out their latest report, AR6. And in that report is the latest scientific consensus on how climate change is impacting weather-related events. And there's now high confidence that climate change is impacting tropical cyclones, floods, and wildfires. And interestingly, with respect to tropical cyclones, the current scientific consensus is that climate change is not impacting hurricane frequency, but it's impacting severity. So what's happening is we're seeing more severe storms. There's a shift in storms from weaker to the proportion to the major storms, category three, fours, and fives. And the in the historical, the last several years, we've been seeing that. Uh, we've been seeing, again, we saw even landfalling, uh, multiple category four storms and a category five. So what's happening is that the severity of storms is increasing. And of course, the models have to capture that. KCC scientists have quantified what's happened with respect to hurricane severity to date, and we built that into our reference model, and it indicates that uh, on average, losses are 11% higher today than they would have been um, if we had not had global warming since 1900. Since 1900, we've seen about a 1.1 degree Celsius increase. Now, we'll talk about the future in a minute, but one interesting aspect of this change I'd like to point out, which is that the, the climate change, how it's impacting losses is it's changing the shape of the exceedance probability curve, the EP curve. And I think that's very interesting. Uh, probably interesting to AM Best that the PML is not rising as fast as say the one in the five and one in 10 year and one in 20 year losses. Now, why is that, do you ask? Why is the shape of the curve changing? So we're seeing more increases at the lower return period losses. And if you think about it, it's kind of obvious. So. 
what, when you think about the one in a hundred year loss, one in 150 billion, maybe larger, as I talked about, where are you going to get a loss of that size? Well, of course, you're going to get it if a major hurricane hits uh, Miami-Dade. You're going to get it if a storm hits Galveston, Houston, and potentially in New York. Um, but uh, the probability of a four or five hitting uh, New York City is much lower than it is Florida. But the point is there are limited areas where we're going to have the one in 100, one in 250 year losses. So those losses are generally increasing with uh, respect to property values. It, it may be interesting for you and the audience to take note that if we take a storm that's already 165 miles per hour and we increase it to say 170 miles per hour, that's more intense, but actually it may not be that much bigger in losses because as storms get more extreme, they tend to get more tightly wound. So you might have a higher wind speed, but you might be impacting a lower number of properties or the same number of properties. On the other hand, if you have more category threes and fours hitting everywhere along the coastline, you're increasing your ch chances of $20 billion, $30 billion losses because these storms can be both more intense and larger or certainly not smaller. So what we're doing is we're increasing the potential for those moderate size losses, 10 billion, 20 billion, $30 billion losses. And that's why the shape of the EP curve is changing. Now you talked about insurers um, responding to climate change. So as I mentioned, the KCC models already provides insurers and reinsurers were of the climate impacts to date on hurricane losses. But what about the future? It's more important now uh, that insurers look, it's not more important, but it's equally important that they look out five years, 10 years, and we suggest out to 2050 as to what could happen in the future with respect to climate change. And for this, we also use the AR6 report and the climate change projections given in that report in terms of the SSPs, the socioeconomic pathways. Now, John, the biggest uncertainty with respect to climate change in the future is really what's going to happen with respect to global emissions. Are we going to control those and are we going to control the growth um, uh, of uh, control, the impacts of climate change, or is it going to be business as usual? Um, so we have to look at multiple scenarios and the IPCC report provides those. So what we do as catastrophe modelers is we take a few of those scenarios, a best case, a worst case, and a middle of the road case, and we look at three future time horizons, 2025, 2030, and 2050. And then we create new completely stochastic, full, fully stochastic climate condition catalogs that our clients can use to see what their losses would be under these different scenarios. So it's nine different scenarios. We can't pick just one because we, we can't predict exactly what's going to happen. But what we can do is we can give insurers and reinsurers these multiple views of what could happen um, with respect to their 
hurricane losses going forward. An awful lot to unpack there, Karen. And you, you talked about the PML and, of course, the severity of storms getting more and more intense and severe. So along those lines, do we have any idea of what the annual loss is expected to be for a hurricane season? Yes, and the expected, our expected annual loss today is about $22 billion. So that's an expected loss. But of course, as we know, no year is, or few years are actually the expected loss. Many years are better than average because in those years we have no landfalling hurricanes or only weaker ones. But then we can have years that are much uh, higher losses. So those may be more interesting to talk about because they may be a little bit more surprising. So while 22 billion is an annual aggregate expected loss, in individual event loss, so we expect about that size, 22 billion for one event, a single event, about once every five years. And we expect a $40 billion industry loss about once every 10 years, which means there's a 10% chance this year we're going to have a single event loss of 40 billion, and there's a 5% chance or a 1 in 20 year loss is $80 billion today. So again, this is what I was saying before. I think it's more surprising what's happening to the 1 in 5, 1 in 10, 1 in 20 year losses. And it's probably important to note that it's not just climate change. What's driving these losses? Why are these losses continuing to increase? Well, climate change is one, but the bigger driver is the increases that we're seeing in the number of properties and the values of properties in coastal areas. People are continuing to move to the coastal areas and we're not building the same houses that we built 20 or 30 years ago. We're building much bigger properties, more expensive, with more expensive finishes in kitchens and bathrooms, etc. So property values have generally, the, the replacement value of properties generally has been increasing over the past 10 or 20 years at about twice the CPI, the rate of inflation. But of course, at today we have to talk about COVID and supply shortage impacts because in the last two years, we've seen an acceleration in the cost to replace uh, residential and commercial buildings. And we have conducted in-depth studies here at KCC, and we have uh, found that over the last two years, uh, in aggregate, we've seen about a 25% increase in the cost to replace the typical uh, uh, single-family home, and about 15% increase in commercial and industrial structures. So this is uh, is actually a bigger driver on increasing losses um, than climate change. And of course, insurers are responding to that and they are uh, re-evaluating on their policies and making sure their policyholders have the right numbers for their replacement values. The last aspect of increasing losses is of course, social inflation. So we are seeing social impacts from uh, mainly from increased litigation that is also having an impact. So 
as modelers, it really behooves us to be able to sort all this out for insurers, how much of the increase is climate change, how much is increase in property value, and how much is due to social inflation. And that is, you know, obviously an important, um, important aspect of, of the modeling today. So, Karen, the kind of numbers that you're throwing out there, that's got to be keeping insurance and reinsurance CEOs up at night. What challenges do insurers and reinsurers face when it comes to hurricane losses? Well, that's right, John. And what's happening in the market now is insurers and reinsurers are questioning whether the traditional models that they've been using over the past 20 and 30 years are really keeping up with changes in the environment and changes in the loss potential. Because there, there's some dissatisfaction. They feel they keep getting surprised. You know, every time there's a major event, it seems not to be incorporated by the models. They don't seem to be able to uh, track, uh, you know, the losses for live events in real time very credibly. So there is some uh, dissatisfaction, I would say, in the industry with respect to the traditional models that they've been using. The other challenge is, you know, insurers are different. Are these models able to differentiate between companies to see which companies do have better underwriting uh, standards, which companies do have appropriate replacement values? So all of this is, is very important for the modeling to to incorporate. And I think it's interesting that we're seeing the impacts of this lack of confidence, I would say the industry is placing in the traditional models. This renewal season, um, as a, a reinsurance renewal season, I mean, you probably know that Florida, with respect to hurricane loss potential, no surprise, dominates with respect to the reinsurance, um, reinsurance purchased with respect to hurricane risk. And you would think that, well, if the risk is rising, that's good for reinsurers because they can sell more of their product and it means they can grow. But actually what's happened this renewal season is reinsurers have been cutting back and there's been a real capacity crunch in Florida and companies have been having trouble trying to fill their programs. I mean, it's interesting, John, it's almost reminiscent of around the time of Hurricane Andrew um, that insurers are underestimating the risk. So it's vitally important that um, you know, insurers embrace, you know, innovative technology versus just contracting and backing off from the risk. I mean, this is what we do, right? The insurance industry helps society manage risk um, and, and the risk is, is ever changing and ever evolving, but so should the models. I mean, so our, the, we need the, to embrace innovation and you know, encourage advancing uh, models uh, to go with the advancing science, so that you know, as the risk grows, uh, the industry is able to uh, effectively quantify it, price it, manage it. Karen, what do you see as the societal benefits to these new and improved models? Well, as mentioned, John, the, the risk is rising. Society needs more protection, needs better protection. And that's 
using this advanced technology is really a win-win for everyone. So of course, insurers will get uh, more protection and better protection for the growing loss potential. Reinsurers will have a growing market and will have more demand you know, for their product. And of course, finally, the benefits to society is you know a more stable insurance and reinsurance market so that they there's more stability um, you know as events happen the models incorporate those events so it doesn't cause massive disrupt disruption like hurricane andrew caused okay what happened with hurricane andrew is it caused so much disruption because insurers were just unaware of the loss potential and they weren't on top of it. So the better prepared insurers and reinsurers are for the likely future losses, the, the better they anticipate those losses with new and improved models, then the better off society is going to be with a more stable, functioning and efficient insurance and reinsurance market. Better living through science. <laughs> Karen Clark, as always, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, John. And I'm John Weber for AM Best TV. Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day. Find out more by calling AM Best Advertising Sales at 908-439-2200, extension 5399, and have a great day.